Okay. Jack? Uh, testing, one, two, three. This is the soundtrack, and this is what I... Is that about what, how close you're going to be, you think? Well, I've got... Th th my problem is that I have taken uh, stuff uh, that I've worked on from different courses, and other stuff. I'm, I'm working on a book, too. So That's not I, what I, I asked, Jack. Jack, <laughs> I don't care about that. I'm just asking, is that where you're going to sit in the chair relative to the microphone? <laughs> no, you're just giving uh, yeah, me this. I, think, I, I, I love think. this man so much. <laughs> All I care about, Jack, is how close you're going to be to the microphone. Okay, okay. Okay, how's this? Hello, and welcome to another episode of Discovering Darwin, a podcast dedicated to the writings and musings of Charles Darwin. I'm James Wagner, professor of biology at Transylvania University, and joining me on this exploration of Darwin is my two esteemed colleagues, Dr. Sarah Bray, associate academic dean and professor of biology and full-time COVID wrangler, <laughs> and uh, Dr. Mark Jackson, professor of psychology, and soon to launch his uh, subscription service called Bitchbox, <laughs> where each month, Mark will be delivered to your house in a box. <laughs> And he'll let you bitch to him about how your life is and how terrible things are. And then he will convince you in this calm and positive tone that actually everything is not that bad. Sure. Yeah. It's the best of all possible worlds. That's, that's right. Hello, Mark. Hello, Sarah. Hi, hey, James. James. <laughs> so I couldn't decide who actually would be that subscription service, Sarah, because I could see. <laughs> that's like my every day. So I don't know if I want to be mailed for anybody for extra. <laughs> Um, but anyway, this is uh, season four of our Labor of Love for Chuck, and, uh, and it's his birthday today, right? That's right. Oh, yeah. Darwin. February yes, 12th. Darwin Day. He's yep. 213 years young. Um, so in this season, as you may recall, we've been slowly working our way through Descent of Man, having a couple of uh, detours, and today is one of those detours. Uh, as you may or may not be aware, Descent of Man is Darwin's 18th book, so everyone, uh, so he publishes a lot and, and published more afterwards. And also to remind you that we do post our episodes on a website called discoveringdarwin.blogspot.com, where Discovering Darwin is one word, and there's supplemental material there. And of course, you can get our podcasts and other sources, which we assume you're doing that because you're listening to us right now. <laughs> so our last episode, we stumbled around discussing chapters four and five, and well, two biologists and a psychologist, right? Yeah. We kind of argued if there was a future uh, for, of humans, and I was wondering, you know, I kind of thought about this. Is this the, the, uh, the future of, like, Star Trek future, right? Where the morality of the galaxy, yeah. Where the prime directive. Yeah, where the, the diversity of the, you know, the crew, right, of the Enterprise was more diverse than our Supreme Court. <laughs> but or, or, you know, is the morality of the future more like Star Wars, right? <laughs> And, uh, and Sarah, you introduced this interesting concept of big M and little m morality, and uh, we kind of t stumbled around that. So at the end of that, we all agreed that we wanted to bring somebody actually knowledgeable, <laughs> but we couldn't get them. So, <laughs> sorry. No, in fact, that's not true at all. We're very excited to have our guest uh, today, Dr. Uh, Jack Furlong, an esteemed emeritus professor of uh, philosophy, and by all accounts, the most interesting man in the world. <laughs> Jack So welcome to the podcast, Jack. Thank you. Thank um, all three of you. And so we brought you on to sort of help us make sense of this idea of morality and whether or not there, you know, we could talk about the big M and the little M morality. And I think we started talking about whether animals have morality and act morally. And I know that you've been thinking a lot about that. 
Um, just a little background about yourself, right? You started off as a Jesuit priest. Oh, okay. <clears throat> We're doing that all. <laughs> just a little yeah, bit, Jack. Yeah. Four I score was, uh, and... Yeah. <laughs> when I was 13. <laughs> yeah, I was a Roman Catholic monk uh, of the Passionist Order, which is a sort of... Uh, uh, was... And I was interested in this stuff at the time, uh, full of a bunch of uh, scripture scholars, people who, who knew the Greek and Hebrew and Ugaritic, et cetera. And I liked that kind of stuff. But there were other things I didn't like, so I left. <laughs> uh, I was drafted into the Army eventually, and that's another story. I was in Vietnam and, and uh, came back. Uh, but then I went to graduate school, and here I am. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And. I never graduated from graduate school. Yeah. <laughs> and taught philosophy. And, and taught philosophy. How long were you at Transy? Uh, 32 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. And we actually, you and I, team taught once? We team taught moral animals in yeah. 2009. Fascinating uh, point about that, and I won't go on too much with it, but it is relevant. Uh, at the time, the work in uh, uh, moral psychology and uh, the science of religion um, indicated that uh, initially human hunter-gatherers, ancestrals, began with uh, uh, moral codes and eventually developed religion. And it turns out now that the research, and this has been just since 2009, that this sort of research in archaeology and anthropology erupted. And it turns out that they coexisted, that religion and morality sort of uh, came together at the same time for the same purpose which was this, this sort of uber cooperation mm-hmm. one needed in a human tribe just to survive on the savanna. So I bring that up because we may want to go back to those ancient times <clears throat> in a little while mm-hmm. and talk about what kind of thing morality looked like when it was a borning. You know, I remember we talked in the last episode about how Darwin himself made the argument that you don't have to have religion to have morals. <clears throat> So how does that circle back with this idea that originally it was tied with religion? Well, originally religion wasn't what we think it is now, uh, which is a sort of set of dogmas, a way of social control of a particular sector of people. Um, Religion largely had to do with what we were. Until the Axial Age, which is about 900 BCE to about 300, all that time before that, where uh, religion and morality were the same thing. They were the same thing about the kind of, the kind of consi- consistency and constituency that made us all one as a group. So it had next to nothing to do about the sorts of things that people worry about uh, when axial age, well, the end of the axial age comes up and then you get what's called among anthropologists, moralizing gods, where then you get hellfire and brimstone and we're going to kill you. And if God didn't say it, uh, and I said it, God said it. Uh, so, uh, so that kind of sense of religion, which of course is obviously still around, is, uh, is not, uh, that connection to morality uh, is not quite so intimate as the original connection of what they meant by religion. There was not a term religion until the 19th century. And then it was done by uh, what will uh, become scholars of religion, who in the 1980s will write books that said, we don't know what religion is. 
<laughs> so, so there's that story. Yeah, it wasn't like oh, uh, watching the football game is religion, or that was is that that time in the '80s and '90s where people were saying everything is religion. That that, that everything is religion. Unfortunately, they were to some extent right. Because if you look at, say you go to a football game and, and you get the buzz with everybody else and you're moving the right way, et cetera, endogenous endorphins are dropping down into your system. And that's exactly what happened in the initial ancestral religious rites. Be yes, okay. So, oh, sorry. You get your emphasis just with your voice, my friend. <laughs> I, get, I see, okay. <laughs> It's, and they're transcendent experiences, too, they, right? They are transcendent experiences. And, uh, what, and it, that, was actually, uh, that actually came with the, with the game because the whole group of fewer than 150, what's the uh, Dar Dunbar Dun number? Dunbar yeah. number. Yeah, 125, yeah. so. Yeah, uh, would all get up, those that could walk, and, and sing and dance together. So they were singing and moving, and that produced the endorphins, and that produced that sort of effect of transcendence that eventually became uh, local deities, et cetera. That's a, that's a completely different story from religion and the sense of religion that we know it today. Yeah, so at any rate. Yeah. So, so, we, so the argument I think I'm hearing here is that morality, as we think about those social norms, <clears throat> grew, they co-evolved. Yes. With things we now call as religion. Yeah, and things we now call as religion. If we go back there, uh, uh, what co-evolved was that uh, sort of sense of transcendence and that sense of uh, our owing the group. Morality pretty much stays the same in human communities. And then I want to argue later in animal communities and other kinds of moral communities that we want to compare and contrast with what we think is our big M morality. Okay. Do you mind just briefly sort of talking to us about how you, Jack Furlong, as a philosopher from graduate school to today, think about morality and how has it changed? It has changed. Um, it's changed in two ways. Uh, one way is that um, in the 80s, when I was in graduate school, we began to see two things happen. One, a good thing, um, in, in the long run, we didn't know how good, was the, was the arrival of women. <laughs> in the, in the so, 70s, says the ex-monk. Yes. <laughs> in the 70s, in the 70s you, you start to see in the 70s uh, the, the great uh, benefit of having women PhDs finally. I mean, it, it's, it was really astounding, especially in the areas of morality uh, that tended to, to be controlled by um, kind of unfortunately and unknowingly unthought through theories. So you get, for instance, in the 70s, and we may want to come back to this, in two different ways, two women completely destroy <laughs> Uh, the sense that we can have a consistent uh, morality. And that's the trolley problem. Mm. You've probably heard of it yeah. before. We call it trolleyology. <laughs> and there's, there has been a lot uh, done uh, on that. And in preparation for, for this, I reviewed the book, and it was hilarious how <laughs> in this particular early book, it, Wait, sorry, Jack. Just, sorry, I'm sorry. I won't no, no, no. Yeah. no. Yeah, don't do that either. Right. <laughs> but, uh, he keeps tapping the table. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. 
just for, for those who may not know the old inside trolley, can you give us a quick summary of that trolley experiment? Oh, yes. Uh, the, uh, the trolley example goes something like this. Uh, th there are a number of them. I'm going to go with the, most, uh, with the earliest one. You've got, uh, you've got a trolley uh, coming down the pike. There are five workers right in their way, right in its way about a half mile down the road. You are about halfway between them and you see the disaster that's going to happen. If this happens, five people die. Uh, unfortunately, uh, you with a lever who could pull this lever and uh, take the trolley out of the way of these five people also see down the road one other person. So, so the change tracks. You could change tracks and kill one person. And save five. And save five. So what do you do? Uh, that is the dilemma of the, that is one of the dilemmas of the trolley. It gets, it gets worse oh, yeah. as you go on. But, but then, you know, so uh, is there a standard, a standard big M morality way to answer that question? And it turned out that that, for one thing, it sort of, it sort of faced utilitarianism with a big problem it didn't have before, which was inconsistency. You, you, could, you could pretty well, from the 19th century on, uh, among utilitarians, you could pretty well resolve the fact that you had, on your own premises, at some time, to violate a human body. If it's for the greater good, by golly, you better do it. And uh, people were squinchy about that. They, they, weren't not, they were not really happy about that possibility. But the utilitarian could always say, uh, yes, but it is for the greater good, and uh, this person whom we are doing this with is just one person. Um, so it may not be the fact that every individual has intrinsic value. Intrinsic value is a hot-button word mm -hmm. that every philosopher hates to think about. But <laughs> yeah. So yes, so this, this faces it physically, uh, beautifully put, unescapably and uh, this this caused a whole lot of a whole lot of difficulty uh, just with that one there's another one uh, which is uh, uh, which is the topic of a later book that actually put together the fact that there it is not it is not insignificant or irrelevant that the two early books on the trolley independently done by two Oxford philosophers were also women. So they had no truck with trying to gloss over the problem of the utilitarian and also the problem of the rights person. There, there, there is this, since, since the 18th century roughly, uh, um, because there were utilitarians not in name around, um, you had the rise of rights uh, there, there, there are two really two major rule ethical theories that come out of the Enlightenment, and they become the big deals. Uh, there are other theories, way more ancient, that eventually come up, but these are the two that unfortunately found root in biomedical ethics and sort of uh, did what they did to that in the 70s and uh, found their way into the law. R rights uh, theory 
uh, argues that there, uh, human individuals are, have inalienable rights. You know, it's in our Constitution, <laughs> so it has to be. Um, so you may not violate a human being ever or in the sense that you may not use that individual as an end. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may actually, uh, an end only. You may have to, uh, we're using each other now in, in the sense that we are working with each other here, but we're not using each other as tools. So you may not. The primary ethical imperative, the categorical imperative, as the author of this thing, Immanuel Kant says, is uh, you may never, ever use a person merely as a means. Mm -hmm. That's rights. So now you can see the rights person with the lever. (laughs) (laughs) Holy cats. (laughs) And that's exactly what a rights person would say because uh, they would not curse. Um, so we know what side of the fence you. Yeah. So, no, 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 no. Uh, yeah, we may go there later. I perfectly hope not. But um, so the rights person would have to be the killer of anybody. Mm-hmm. So this made the rights people angry, <laughs> but it, it did not make them inconsistent in the way that you, the utilitarians would. And we don't need to get into that fiddle faddle in, in, in philosophy. Uh, well, I was just curious yeah. also intellectually how that shaped your thoughts of morality and how, because I know you've now yeah. really been thinking about animals and animal consciousness yeah. and those sorts right. of things. So did it set the ground or did you throw all that away and reject it? Okay, really quickly. <laughs> so uh, I, was, uh, uh, I was interested um, in a lot of things as a monk. Uh, one of them was the objectivity of morality. So I was, uh, and I was unhappy. I was an unhappy monk for that. I was a happy monk in many, many ways. I don't know why now, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but I, was, uh, I was unhappy about the, this sort of, uh, the sort of sloppiness of, of talk about morality and theology. So I came into graduate school interested in, more, uh, in ethical theory. Uh, by the way, we use, more, we use moral and ethical interchangeably. Philosophers often don't and make a distinction that we're going to ignore happily. <laughs> okay, I was going to okay. ask, but then yeah. I... Yeah, well, well because, it, because it really doesn't work any chains uh, for us, for this kind of discussion. And unfortunately, philosophers... I am totally innocent of this, of course. Uh, but philosophers tend to, get, uh, tend to get lost in the weeds of their own lovely distinctions and forget that they're not talking about weeds. <laughs> so... Um, uh, so at, at any rate, I was though I was much more interested in consciousness and uh, and the, the the connection between uh, what we now call cognitive science and philosophy there. And I did my dissertation on that kind of thing. I was very interested in the fate of morality here, because I wasn't really sure that there was a big M morality. Uh, where where by big M morality, here's what I mean, and this is why it's such so such a beautiful term for <laughs> philosophers to become guilty of, about. Big M morality is what we call objective morality. That is, uh, are there moral codes, moral injunct- injunctions, or imperatives that rise above merely cultural conventions uh, and subjective desires or crotchets? In other words, to use uh, a nice phrase of uh, Thomas Nagel, who's a famous uh, uh, philosopher, it, objective morality is a view from nowhere. In other words, nobody should have special 
grasp on it. <clears throat> so <clears throat> at any rate, those were my troubles. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I have been, uh, and that's why I've been interested in morality for a good long time. Unfortunately, it's also, uh, just like religion, the perfect ground for uh, uh, psychopaths. <laughs> <clears throat> for I, I am not, by the way, critiquing uh, those of you who are, who have uh, religious are psychopathic commitments. tendencies? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, don't look a, us up. It's a I am, yeah, the listeners, I, I, I have to I, say, I, in all likelihood. Yeah. <laughs> I am not critiquing uh, religion itself, but it unfortunately is that, and talk about morality, is uh, a wonderful way to control people. And I, I want to thank you for this. I have not seen one second of snark here. <laughs> um, and if you go to other podcasts... Hallelujah, if, you, if you're a lover of snark, a snarkophile, as we... But the, the days are early, Jack. As philosophers yeah, yeah. call them, you know, we have a technical term for everything. Right. Yeah. At, yeah, at, at any rate, that's getting off, the, getting yeah. off the topic. So one thing I really liked about your conversation was that sort of uh, um, honoring Darwin in ways that it took philosophers a long time to do. Uh, you're, you're reading them seriously as people who are not uh, sort of philosophically invested, but scientifically invested in what he's saying. And I think that what, what has, if you're looking at the history of philosophy and, and the choking that went on in the 19th century, the 19th century you had people like Nietzsche, uh, who was one of my favorite uh, people ever, uh, except I never want to meet him in person. <laughs> Such a um, downer. Yeah. <laughs> it's often the case of many of these people that yeah. we kind of like. like yeah. I'm not going to yeah. invite you to dinner. Yes, that's right. Yes. He's just going to sit there and stare into the void. Yeah. <laughs> it's no fun. I quit. <laughs> that's great. You know, I wish I'd have said that, and now I'm going to cry. Yes. So yeah, you, you were talking about Big M and Little M, and I think that is something that Darwin... Uh, Darwin tries to avoid, he tries not to talk about big M morality, largely because it gets in the way of uh, talking about animal morality and animal ethics. And I think he's right about that. Uh, so what I'd like to do, though, is there, big M gives you a kind of a, an, an intuitive understanding of what we mean by objective morality. So I'd like to start there get rid of two uh, big M candidates right away, and then get into to a distinction that I find helpful about what has gone on after Darwin. Before we do this, uh, could you maybe help us contextualize a little bit sort of what philosophers were thinking about concerning morality at the time that Darwin was writing this? Yeah. It sounded like you were starting to go there. Yeah, I am. Uh, or I could and, be. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and um, remember, to, oh, go ahead. You yeah, were going to say and, something. Because I'm curious as to you know, whether or not that was something that might have influenced him. Oh. Although, although he clearly goes out of his way to not really define yeah. what yeah. morality is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he does allude to, I thought, uh, that you know, it, it's, it's basically that choice of do, doing what ought. you ought to do right. Right, yes. versus what you want to do. Yeah. So, so it is, there is a reference to, a, I guess, a collective in that sense. Yes. Because right? the ought is the social duty. Art, 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 yeah, and, and art uh, for, um, uh, for a philosopher is the moral term. Mm. Uh, there's a distinction that Hume makes between is and ought, the famous is-ought distinction. 
What clever type. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that is sort of your paradigm downtown term. That doesn't help you at all because it begs, begs the question to say, morality is all about ought. What is ought all yeah. about? <laughs> so, uh, uh, morality. Yeah. So morality. <laughs> Thank you. You sound like a philosopher. <laughs> Miss my calling. Uh, so, so at any rate, uh, the regnant battles going on were Kantian uh, thinking and utilitarian thinking. Okay. The, the, uh, Bentham had just, uh, th- that kind of utilitarian thinking was actually the kind of thinking among religious thinkers at the time, Christian thinkers in, in England. So it had been going on a lot. What Bentham did was to liberate it. Um, so, uh, so Darwin would have been painfully aware of utilitarianism. Mm-hmm. Moreover, he comes from this uh, sort of uh, 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 Christian uh, background, so he is, he is aware to some extent of uh, what looks like a strong philosophical rights-based theory. Now I want to get rid of those, okay? Um, that rights-based theory would have been called divine command theory by us. In other words, there are commandments. What we mean by mor- morality is, is Christians, Jews, Muslims, is a set of uh, commandments given by God. So we don't have a whole lot of control over them, but that's objective on steroids <laughs> right there. Uh, the, uh, uh, so he's getting this divine command theory. The, the connection between this and Kant is that it tends to be focused on, the human, on human rights, largely because of, the, of the, in, the, the connection between the human soul and uh, rights talk at that time. So, so that... Kantian view that every human being has a has an inalienable excuse me that's Jefferson <laughs> go away Jefferson but, but Jefferson was was he influenced by Kant and them he didn't even know how to spell Kant I mean that, that was <laughs> oh he's bringing the smack down a, <laughs> sorry sorry there's one sorry. for the snarkophiles <laughs> oh sorry okay okay no no um he didn't, but, but that largely had to do with the fact that Kant wasn't around uh, at the time. Kant comes a little bit later. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. So, uh, so, so Kant copied Jefferson, is what you're saying. Kant <laughs> copied Jefferson. Actually, you know, Kant was very impressed by Jefferson. Oh. Um, didn't have much time for Franklin, but that's another long story. <laughs> um, so at any rate, uh, so you had these two battles here between... Uh, uh, between rights theory and, uh, and utilitarianism going on. I don't see this problem in Darwin. I, I, I don't see that he's worried about theories. Mm-hmm. What he's worried about is something that I think is worry aboutable that these theories are not doing. And that is the sort of nascent rising science of how did we human animals get to be moral? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, that's so wonderful that Darwin raises that issue. And one person, one philosopher at least, appreciated that, and it's Nietzsche. Hmm. So, so Nietzsche in his, early, uh, in his early writings is all over Darwin about hmm. that thing, saying this is the way to go. We are human animals. Uh, the, the kind of morality we have ought to be reflected in our animality. Um, so, at any rate, not, that's, that's another track to be on, but that answers the, the Darwin thing. Darwin does not seem to be philosophically informed. It doesn't bother him, but he doesn't diss it either. Mm-hmm. 
you were you were about to tie us up with the idea <laughs> that so Darwin makes the argument that humans are animals and humans as animals evolved this thing of morality yeah. and we've always used that phrase um, you know difference in kind right yeah kind of argument so do you agree with that idea and, and do we take this idea of morality and move it down to non-human animals I think I think we move it over to non-human animals But, you know, there's exceptionalism that uh, the only real moral animal is us uh, because, uh, um, and because we have, and then after the we have, there is all this kerfuffle th th that you get. What I want to do is We to have tool use. Oh, wait. We have language. Right. Oh, wait. Mm -hmm. We have the reason. We have reason. Exactly. Uh, theater, yes. Yeah. That's why I'm not going there. Because I think that when, again, another uh, philosopher, I think Christine Korsgaard, I think, who is a total Kantian scholar, she does do this that I think is, is, is uh, completely out of the way. Otherwise, she is just, she's great. She has a book called Fellow Creatures about animal cognition. And about, and, and I'm, I stole, I've stole, stolen so much from her that I've always been surprised that her other books are about how distinctly different morality is among mm. humans, such that, and this is exceptionalism, mm -hmm. animals don't have any morality at all. So that is downtown exceptionalism right there. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, the, um, uh, and Korsgaard at least has a very clear, clear for philosophers, definition. <laughs> yeah, we'll we, that. Yeah, yeah, we've read some philosophy. Yeah, yeah, you've read some, you yeah. see how clear that is. Yeah. Um, she, she says that uh, morality is normative self-government. And that, that, that's a lot of fancy words to mean this, that in order to do a moral act, you have to intend to do the act, you have to have a reason to do the act in your intention, and the act has to be good. That is, the norm has to be a norm. Mm. So all of those have to be in line. No animal has that, has the cognitive ability to do that, says Korsgaard. So, she would say, as, as generous as I have been toward animals, and as, as enlightening to us human animals, to think about ourselves as animals and to think about other animals as having freaking lives, <laughs> um, uh, we, there, I'm sorry, it just doesn't get there. And that is the, the kindest kind of exceptionalism going on. There, there, there are rougher uh, mean boys uh, kinds of other kinds. <laughs> so, she, so she's saying that they don't have the, uh, animals don't have the approbation and disapprobation <laughs> aspect of it. Like they don't look at another individual and disapprovingly of what they're doing. Well, it seems like maybe I'm wrong, but yeah, like it's, it's she's <laughs> having never read anything she's written. So yeah. this is based on Jack's 
two minute synopsis, but um, the lucid and accurate two minutes. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> but but it's the, it almost seems to be the thinking part of what you're doing is wrong and what I'm doing is right, and right. here's the reason why it's right and wrong, and that's and the, exactly. the reasoning yeah. of versus the emo, you know I think the other thing that comes in Darwin and Jack you've brought in in a lot of notes is is the um, oh well it was because I was reading the Prince, Prince. yeah right. is the yeah. the um, and we've talked with Mark about the emotional reaction, which is something that we can recognize across all animals. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, the, the whole issue of moral emotions is, uh, that's the problem. There are so many treks in these weeds. We could go into, is, is, there, more, is, there, is there such a thing as a moral emotion, and do animals have it? Uh, eventually, I, I will want to say completely dogmatically, yes and yes, uh, <laughs> later on when, when we get to it. Uh, but uh, yeah, oh, since, yeah, go ahead, Mark. Cats I, definitely have contempt for us. <laughs> 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 and dogs have so, forgiveness. Or yes, whatever yes, it is, yes. Right? Gratitude. Yeah. Gratitude. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, that's where we're yeah. going. Huh? <laughs> we're yeah, dumb it down to our level <laughs> here, Jack. We're deep thinkers here. <laughs> but, but Mark, uh, what, what I wanted to say, and, and you remind me of this because we talked about this before, is. Um, one way of putting this, dang, I could get an article out of this. Is, <laughs> just give is us it, a co-author. Yes, yeah, yeah, co-author. At this point, we're so lazy. Yes. We just did anything. Is, it, is that what, what Korsgaard is doing is to make all morality for humans, all big M morality, system two. As opposed to system one versus system two. Okay, that's jargon. For, yeah, for the rest of us, we need to know. Oh, I'm not familiar with this. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was thinking... thinking uh, what is it? What's his name's book? Thinking. Oh, fast. Uh, fast and uh, slow. Uh, Kahneman. Daniel yeah, Kahneman. Kahneman. Yeah. That's that's what I, I've heard. Uh, um, I've not psychology. heard. Oh, okay. Th well, thinking terms. fast is uh, um, fast, intuitive. Why am I right. doing this? You do it. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I was saying I, I haven't I haven't heard this referred to before as system one and system two. Oh, okay. Two. Sorry. Maybe, uh, maybe some philosopher. Maybe Jefferson did that or yeah. something. I don't know, but. <laughs> Social psychologists use the terms, uh, we talk about sort of automatic versus controlled processes. Oh, good. Yeah. I like that. So that, yeah. <laughs> Could you there's, write that there, down for me? No, no. I, I, I yeah. There's the, the kind of thinking that you do that requires cognitive effort and is thoughtful. and That's uh, exactly that, right. Yeah, that kind of it's stuff. This is like the lizard brain versus the, uh, the frontal cortex. Kind of, but then there's Which also... Which is not really either. There, there <laughs> is the automatic processing that goes on uh, that oftentimes still is complex behavior it can manifest I mean, it could be things like uh, you know very well learned things the example I give students in my class is I tell them to remember the first time that they drove a car right and so you're paying attention you to everything. everything exactly you know, lining the car up in the lane and you're Looking in the, when do I look in the mirror conscious of traffic and you know that sort of stuff but now you're driving you're doing that same activity but eating a cheeseburger and listening to the radio yeah. and, and suddenly you arrive at work and you're like how did I get exactly. here and you're like was yeah. that light green yeah. I yeah. think that light was green <laughs> you mean, so that was a control you mean you get process. over that yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well it comes back actually at a certain okay. point <laughs> you start paying more attention again it's like oh man uh, but yeah. <clears throat> okay, thank you. So that's, that's you know, yeah. one kind of automatic processing. But then there's also, in social psychology too, well, and a lot of this we get from Daniel Kahneman, Kahneman is, yeah. is when we're not willing or able to put in the effort to do that thinking, that's when these kinds of biases and heuristics mm. that... The know, defaults. Exactly, mm -hmm. come into play. And mm -hmm. that's, that's that unconscious thought, which we can undo. Right? We, can, we, can, you know, we can step back from that. But again, you've got to be... Effort. Willing to do it and or able to do it or actually willing and able and and that's that is exactly 
what I think is happening here, that, um, that she and uh, the whole tradition of rights and a good bit of utilitarians want to say, if you want to be moral, you've got to be doing controlled. Mm-hmm. You, the, the, this sort of intuition, the knee jerk, is not is not going to produce moral acts. I, I think Darwin also took that position. Yeah, he did. Definitely. Yeah, right. Yeah. The, the instinctual behaviors are mm-hmm. not moral behaviors. Right. right. Like you have to get to the point where you can make a choice. You've cho- yes, yeah. Exactly. Okay. Well, I For had Darwin. a I had a refutation of that whole line. I could do it now or do it some other time, but uh, like what tomorrow? No. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I thought of I, since you were inviting us to dinner, I thought no, no, uh, I, I no. Think it would be appropriate to do it now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, the. the uh, yeah, so so the problem is... Oh, wait a second. Uh, yeah. how, how about this? We take a break. Oh, okay. Yeah, and when we come back, Jack... Yeah. You're going to refute what are we gonna the talk hell about? out of that. We're going to refute... The, yeah, we're I, gonna, I'm going to be talking about the problem of, uh, of thinking that Of thinking. All, of thinking. Oh, that's good. I go. got that problem. <laughs> okay. No, no, sorry. What? Sorry. No, of all, uh, that, that all moral... Uh, that all morality has to be controlled. Right. Oh, that there's okay. no such thing as uh, sort of uh, intuitive. Oh, okay. So you're morality. gonna you're gonna refute the Darwin I'm, argument I'm that instincts that. can't yes. be moral. Yes. It's taking okay. him on in his birthday. Taking him on in his birthday. Jack. Okay, we're yeah, gonna. I know it hurts. <laughs> we're gonna take a break here, and I encourage you to do the same. And when we come back, uh, we'll talk more about morality with our special guest, Dr. Jack Furlong. You're listening to Discovering Darwin. You're listening to Discovering Darwin. We are pleased to have our special guest, Jack Furlong, with us today, who actually knows what the hell he's talking about, unlike the rest of us. So we mostly are going to try to just get out of his way. But uh, this is not just a, a special episode. This is a very extra special, <laughs> special episode. I think I think that's TM. Like, uh, uh, so Jack. Okay. You well. Were well, uh, as uh, as I remember it, and, and I have a febrile memory, being aged, uh, I think uh, um, I think what we were talking about was this distinction between um, controlled and automatic, and where uh, philosophers talking about big M morality want to say any morality X, any moral decision X, has to be controlled. In other words, it has to be reflected upon. Mm-hmm. You have to have reasons. It has to be self-constituted, which is another uh, uh, famous phrase of uh, Christine Korsgaard. Hey, Jack, that, does yeah. it also have to be counter to your own personal advantages? <clears throat> There's a whole tradition of that. that but, but let me say this. Uh, no, it doesn't. You can, as long as you've reasoned it through, and as long as you have done, uh, and as long as you self-consciously can say, uh, yes, uh, I realize that it is the moral thing to do to have that Snickers bar now. <laughs> uh, even if you like the Snickers bar, that's fine. 
so we don't need to go through St. Ignatius's uh, spiritual exercises where that's not true. <laughs> so, okay. Which, so, which yeah. it does just actually write. feel counterintuitive to me. Again, I, I grew up Lutheran, so maybe this, oh, is, yes, okay. the, this is the level of, of guilt like, yeah. that, but, you know, but, that I've experienced. But it, do, it does feel like, how could how can something be good for me and everyone else and be moral all at the same yeah. time? It, right. But it, it also makes me think, as a social psychologist who <sighs> stands by the maxim that human beings aren't particularly rational, but we are yeah. great rationalizers. Yes. So I could justify yes. just so about facto. anything. <laughs> that right? snicker bar was morally needed. And, and if I can consciously yeah. arrive at that decision, then, yeah. then by this definition, it's moral. The problem is this for a big M. Most human moral decisions, most good human moral decisions are automatic, are intuitive. Mm -hmm. So the whole philosophical tradition in, in East and West began with the, the development of good intuitions. Confucius and Aristotle are all about uh, getting in the right community, listening to the right people so that you have the right intuition, so that when you have to make a decision, you make it correctly. Now, you can reflect upon the, the decision. That's called theoria in Aristotle. So, and you don't want to do that uh, unless you want to make sure that your decision is prudent. S the same thing, uh, you have Confucius. Confucius says, the junza, the, the, hap the, the, the happily just person, cannot arise out of a non-jun community, a non-good community. Uh, the same thing with Aristotle, and here goes the quote, the good is what the good person does. <laughs> yeah. Well, obviously. The spudaios. Yeah, right, yeah. yeah. Thanks, Aristotle, <laughs> for that clarity. As we call him, tot. Um, <clears throat> so at, at any rate, I could go on and talk about uh, Augustine, the Franciscans, it's the, uh, uh, but let's not do that and get to the Carnegie Hero Fund Commission. And this, I think, is the complete destruction of any attempt to try to say big amorality as rationalization is where we should aim our discussion when we go to animals and find they can't rationalize, mm -hmm. okay? And it's this, uh, the Carnegie Hero Fund Commission has found that most heroes and heroines don't even think about it. You, you, it's, it's just wonderfully enlightening for a philosopher to see person after person. I saw the car go into the drink. I saw the mother yelling and saying, here's my baby. Um, and I knew I had to do something. I didn't say, would the rational person actually go into that car? I just went in there and got him. I would be mm -hmm. thinking, where's the trolley? <laughs> okay. Where's my switch? Where's my lever? Cheers to you, my friend. <laughs> yes. So wait, are you saying that this group is saying that a lot of our, our reactions to situations are just instinct? Innate. And that, innate, and that's what we do. I, I talk about this in one of my courses oh. when we have a conversation about courage. Oh, right? good. And, oh, and good. I get the yes. students uh -huh. to kind of figure out what their definitions of courageous behavior is. And it's, you know, and I certainly over the course of the conversation, we add some nuance. But, yeah. uh, but their instinctive sort of thought is that it's about someone overcoming a fear, right? They're doing something uh, even though everything is telling them not to do it. Jumping right? on the grenade. Putting themselves yes. at risk. Right. And then I introduce, because there's more than one study that shows that you know oh, most good. of the folks who do that kind of thing just do it. 
they're they, not right. They're thinking. not thinking. Overcoming. They're, they're not afraid in the moment. They're just. Oh, so it's, it's just a response. Oh, good. Yeah. Could, could you send me some of that? Uh, sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, that's good. Yeah. I love that. Yes. So wait a second. So is that like? <laughs> well, you, are you saying like the old classic? I'm going to hit my knee and watch my foot jump. Right. They react. That kind of reaction. Well, I wouldn't say so, quite so literally. You know, like a, re, a, a neural reflex or anything. Mm-hmm. But but they're they they act. Before they but thought it is a about reflex. it, automatically. But it is a reflex, right? Well, and then how does how does one shape that reflex? Like they they don't get to practice <clears throat> as a young child, right? When to, the grenade goes, right. yeah. So what is that? What, what's the thought of how that develops? Uh, is oh. that just the weird? That's yeah. the people on the tail end of the distribution, and that, most of the time yeah. they get wiped out. I think that's a good question because you know certainly you could imagine that there are plenty of folks in that situation who would freeze right. and do nothing, right, or mm-hmm. or run away, right, uh, but, or bystanders, sir, right, right, syndrome, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. But some folks will just throw themselves into the situation, right, and again do so really unconsciously. So are we saying then if if we have this scenario um, of the kid the 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 car crashing in the in the in, yeah. the in the ditch in the water, like, and then you've got some people who just well, not even thinking, well, not even knowing what they're mm-hmm. doing. The body's on automatic; they're out there grabbing the baby. There's others standing in the in the, in the, on the bank, going, "Well, these are really expensive shoes. I'll take them off first. Mm-hmm. Then I'll go in there and save the kid." Versus <clears throat> others that are sitting there going, uh, "Well, this is not my problem. This is not my problem. Or I, I can't. I don't. Do I don't think I can do anything. Yeah. yeah right. I don't have. The, I don't have the muscle strength to do anything. So." Uh, are all of those people moral? We all are, turned and looked at Jack. Yes. <laughs> yes. Are all of those, are, are, are those, uh, yeah, and all those different responses to that same scenario, are they being moral? What you want to know is, is there a moral disposition on the part of a person who would do this, such that this is spontaneous from some kind of prior, uh, some kind of prior set of experiences that, they have worked out. Yeah, yeah and but, that's Mark. But, but we actually, I, we should also, I don't know if it is a distinction that we, and maybe this is where the conversation is going, a, a distinction to make, you know, particularly with the context of what I talk about in my class and this Carnegie Hero Fund. Are, are we saying that courage, the morality requires courage? Because right? I, I, um, I was just sort of throwing it out as kind of an analogy, or, or yeah. not necessarily an analogy, but a parallel. Yeah. Uh, but that I don't know if that's what we're we're meaning. Right. Yeah. Does do moral acts always require some kind of courage? But it, I guess because the, the reason we got to it was this idea that it had to overwhelm the self right interest, interest right? Yeah. yeah. And and but, so obviously in the Carnegie mm-hmm. heroes case it is. Right. But does it have to be in that? It doesn't always have to be in that kind of splashy. Right, right. But in the Carnegie's way. hero thing really is an award recognizing courageous acts. Yes. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. But and, and so uh, and, and so that's uh, um, another curlicue here. If if these are courageous acts, in other words, they are sort of against your own self-interest. How many intuitions that are moral go unnoticed in your brain? So, uh, so to talk about morality as some sort of uh, rational, some sort of rational decision, uh, is is a big problem for that reason. The other reason is, um, <clears throat> is it a decision? Mm-hmm. If you don't have to make a decision, are you still moral? And th- that raises the other problem with exceptionalism. I have, uh, do we really have? the best of um, moral sense. Why are we the definition of morality? So so what I'm hearing here is that, whereas Darwin would say, um, 
a moral decision is one that has to be consciously made and mm -hmm. has to be rationalized and it often has to be in opposition to your own personal right. good mm -hmm. or whatever you want to say mm -hmm. or, or advantage. You're saying, Jack, no, 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 instinct works. Instinct can, can be a moral instinct. Yeah. Yeah. And so ha having said that, how do you... How do you envision morality in non-human animals? How, how do, so so a, a, a social group of hyenas in the Serengeti, how do you think a, a moral set of rules works for elephants or hyenas? Yeah. or any? So, we have to have a social group, right? Yeah, I was we can't say, be, let me throw that out there, too. Could solitary animals have morals? <laughs> like, well, which also, to me, I'm just going to suggest... Feels like a massive change in topic. I'm just wondering if this is a break time. Oh, is it a break? I don't time? know. Are we? Have we not talked that long? It just was a. <clears throat> no, it's like break. That. We could take a break. Yeah. I, I, I don't need to make a break. I'm just saying. Well, now we're like break. Because now you, the listeners I've are like, Shit, yeah, I want a yeah, break. It is a massive change in topic. Okay. I don't know what I'm saying. All right. So let's take a break, and when we come back. Uh, Jack's going to tell us all about the morality of the African Serengeti. You're listening to uh, Discovering Trump. back listeners to very special episode of discovering darwin uh with our very special guest jack furlong who will now discuss with us the ideas of non-human morality non-organic morality and who will ultimately uh be the arbiter of deciding <laughs> concerning the big m morality whether sarah or james is right <laughs> <clears throat> Don't um, forget who invited you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and whose booze I'm drinking yeah. now. <laughs> um, so, uh, so we started with uh, post-Darwinian uh, possible positions, possible still going positions that have been, and favored positions, even though, though exceptionally. Um, <clears throat> uh, the, of the three, we've done one. So I'd like to, to you know, sort of do due diligence to the other two possibilities. So the first one being exceptionalism, which you kind of poop Destroyed. I, I don't know. It depends <laughs> upon how you take it. Uh, there are two other possible positions you can take. And this one that we talk about, continuism, is what I think Darwin actually takes. And so let me quote from a couple of passages from Descent of Man. Any animal, whatever, this is Darwin, mm -hmm. not my nonsense, okay. Any animal, whatever, endowed with well-marked social instincts, the parental and filial affections being here included, so we've got instincts and emotions, would inevitably, inevitably acquire a moral sense or conscience. As soon as its mental powers, that's going to be important here in a minute, had become as well, are nearly as well developed as in man. That's continuism on the hoof right there, I think. He says later that uh, morality is the ability self-consciously to reflect on one's actions and motives and of approving or disapproving them. 
I can't connect the first paragraph to the second paragraph. The second paragraph is really course guardian and Kantian, mm -hmm. and I don't see that as necessary for an argument for continuism. What continuism wants to do is to take Darwin's initial paragraph about cognition, where we're not, we're not talking about difference in, uh, in kind, we're talking about difference in degree regarding animal cognition, and using it for morality. And I think that's what really is lovely about continuism. So what <laughs> continuism argues is that there is a continuity in evolution up to human beings. So back off on human beings, and you have what Franz Duval calls building blocks, mm -hmm. and what other people like Jonathan Haidt calls, I think, proto-morality mm -hmm. at times. So you've got these building blocks, and I like building blocks because they are continuous. So you, you have um, certain kinds of animals who have certain kinds of capabilities. You have to have sort of cognitive capabilities. Because by and large, you have to make a decision between X or Y. Otherwise, wait, 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 wait. You just said you could have an instinct. No decision made. Oh, no. Instincts are decisions. You decide to go on your instinct. Okay? <laughs> oh, wait. I'm not That's sure not a that. that is not a reflective. That is an automatic decision. Okay? So I, I am going on. Um, I, I am uh, arguing that you can... Let me, I've got some good examples here, okay? So you tell me, all right? Okay. Um, if we get to the, uh, to the instincts about, uh, so, uh, because you don't because want I thought to Darwin said that instincts don't count because there is no decision, right? It is, yeah. it is a snap response. How many, and therefore, it can't be morality. And then how many definitions of instinct did I say? Oh, yeah, there's <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. So, so, so we're looking at, uh, we're looking at uh, intuition, which is the term that I'm going to favor here about instinct. In the face of an option, if you, are, if you have an intuition about something, you go with that option. But that is sort of, in effect, predetermined by you. But it's okay, not if, something... I, if I smell rotten flesh, yeah. I don't like consider, do I gag? I just start gagging, right? That's, that's is that my an intuition instinct. or an instinct, James? Well, that's my question back to you, Jack. <laughs> okay, because you're the one then, who added intuition into this, because I thought we were on instinct. No, there, and, and, and as I said before, seven to ten different uh, meanings of instinct. One of them is intuition, okay? So, so let me off the hook on this for a, a, a moment, because after all, you need to let me off the hook. Yeah, you're the guest, so yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, I forgot about that. I was going to say that I'm a friend and I'm a nice guy and I'm appealing to your... And you keep you know, banging the table. So appealing to your emotions. <laughs> yeah. you, have, you have to appeal to exceptionalism <laughs> yes. as the guest. <laughs> so what's okay. the third? Okay, the third, uh, Okay. No. so you have an idea of continuism <laughs> because... Uh, so animals, could, animals with a certain moral uh, abilities... Cognitive, certain mechanisms, say emotional mechanisms, you, you may have sort of empathy, uh, build up to the exceptionalist uh, morality that we have. And our morality is not just a model for, that would be anthropomorphism, but it is better than, that, that got your anthropocentrism in it, better than uh, any other animal morality. So let's now go to pluralism that says this. <laughs> You 
are making a big mistake if you're thinking that uh, uh, nature urges, nature yearns toward humanity. It is waiting for the human to appear to have the best kinds of things, the best cognition, uh, the best kind of morality, uh, and perhaps the best human community, the best kind of communities. You've got all this sophistication and we're all yearning toward it. Uh, that is, of course, you know, kind of relatively anti-Darwinian and, and not really very evolutionary. It's hierarchical. And I, I, I imagine that Nazis like it and the fascists <laughs> like it. <laughs> so at, at, at any rate, the pluralist wants to say morality is species specific. If morality means anything at all other than what us humans do, and if you want to apply that kind of of ability to other animals, you have to ask, how do species live? And do species, certain species, need a morality uh, to live by? And so pluralism says, let a thousand flowers bloom. Uh, let us, uh, and that means what we're going to have to do is to loosen our idea of what it means to be moral as a human being lose big M morality. Unless you want to do this, unless you want to go to the rat and say, look, on your best day, <laughs> okay, you have big M, mouse morality, or, you know. So, and anyway, you don't, you don't want to, if you don't want to do that, then let's lose big M morality because that is so anthropocentric and, is, and we, as we have so, shown, it is shamefully proud because after all, it cannot be. Proud boy, I'm a yeah. proud boy. <laughs> Wait, no, I'm not. No, yeah, I, yeah, no yeah. I'm not. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> but your intuition made you say that. <laughs> no, okay. Uh, so, um, so many species have had to, to survive under conditions if they're social species and if they have a kind of requisite cognition for it, like problem solving, have had to survive using what we would call morality if we, if we look carefully at it. So uh, what are we looking for? And that is where the big battle is regarding pluralists. In other words, what do you need in order, what are the necessary and sufficient conditions for morality mm -hmm. for a snake? Uh, uh, well, there is none for a snake. And that's largely because the snake doesn't have the cognitive ability of problem solving that re would we require it to face uh, some kind of condition in which it would have to go for the better option, what we would make call the nor more normatively alive ability. Okay. So, so, yeah. so you've articulated three different positions, right? Uh, exceptionalism, mm -hmm. uh, continuism, and then the last one is pluralism. Pluralism, right. And when I think about our conversation last episode and our reading of Darwin, he actually covers all three of those, right? Because he has this, he talks mm -hmm. about you know, that our morality has to be sort of unique and di distinct and a decision. But then he talks about, hey, if we were honeybees, we would you know, kill, kill mm -hmm. our sisters and brothers and all that stuff, which is sort of a, a pluralism argument. Yeah. And then he has the, the continuous. So it seems to me Darwin has actually embraced all three of your views. I, I, I would not want Darwin to, yeah, I hadn't thought of him being a pluralist, but you've, you've kind of persuaded me here, so I'm, go I'm leaving. 
<laughs> um, no, no I think but, it's funny because I, I, maybe well, I'm wrong. He didn't reject any. He brought yeah. them all up and rejected none. Right. Of I, those yeah. See, I didn't. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. I'm trying to remember the context in which he brought that up. Which one? Which one? The, the, the bees. The bees. Yeah. He talked yeah. about imagine a world in yeah. which right. Uh, I actually read the quote where yeah. we we were like honeybees, where okay. sisters and, and we would see this as moral that right. you would kill your brothers yes. and and as a queen kill other. Why? But yeah. Oh, I mean, okay, go ahead and then yeah. I'll ask why. But yeah, but 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 he does suggest that that's that doesn't fit with our experience, like with the human Correct. system. Correct. Well, yeah. But he argues that it because the conditions of the honeybee make it so that that is a right. beneficial. Yeah. And he yes. also talked about the dyaks and head hunting. Like this is a thing right. we do. We cut off heads of our enemies and shrink them down and display them in, and this our, is the yeah, moral thing that we do nerdy like biology land part of it was that uh, he didn't understand the mechanism of why that made sense that's what i'm like, asking i'm asking that. you why so why is it uh, i i think this is important for the pluralist argument um so there has to be a let me say why um <clears throat> chimpanzees moral code is competition mm -hmm. it's the only primate that focuses its morality, focuses its moral choices. If I have a choice between, uh, um, uh, uh, between actually trying to fight for alpha and taking it easy with my girlfriend and, you know, uh, I have to do it. It is, a, it is in effect norm for me to mm -hmm. compete. Mm -hmm. um, then uh, if I don't compete, then that would not be a moral choice for a chimpanzee. Um, <clears throat> I have double-checked this with my daughter just this <laughs> afternoon to make sure I'm not making an ass of myself. And she's very happy to make sure to narrow the assitude of my... <clears throat> but so, this is for my own clarification. Yeah. Like the, the thing that would make hanging with my chimp girlfriend yeah. the non-moral choice... Good. Good, yes, right, go, <laughs> go, yeah. Oh, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. it's me, it's me. Uh, oh, yeah, I've totally forgotten where I was going. Because you're not because competing? Because everything about the society is about yes. competition right. for Oh, no, right, that's she, what's, what but she said. It's, it's that, that, there, is that there has to be consequences, right? So that the, there are con negative consequences oh, for, for me for not making saying. the moral choice. Oh, there would be. Oh, yes, there the would be. Because they diss you. Yes. Right, dis exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, your uh, your homies. Right, you're a dead man. Right, right. Okay, yeah. There is that, but why is that? Right. And then we go to Sarah's point mm -hmm. that the whole point of what keeps this group together is hierarchy. Mm -hmm. You need you need the alpha to be a serious alpha, uh, and you need the female alphas to be serious female alphas because they're out there be foraging. Okay, and they have to come back. So th that's the what the, uh, fusion fusion yeah, fission, fusion fusion yeah. uh, 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 sort of uh, social life. group stays together, but sometimes splits into small groups and then yeah. re recombines and fuses but, back. But again, I, I like that you brought this up because then we can see the, you know the sister species to chimpanzees are the bonobos, who yes. do the completely different, <laughs> right? right? Which is yeah. actually she, it is best to be hanging yeah. with your lady or your yeah. bros, yes. and we're yeah. all getting it on, right? Yes, right. and that's a very moral thing, to exactly, do because we are, yeah. Because keeping everybody, yeah, we are because your envi environment is lovely. You just right. open up and and fun you, you, you yeah. just think bonobos live in this rich environment that uh, chimpanzees, right. you know.
Yeah. So, 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 okay, you've articulated mm-hmm. three different views of morality, and I've sort of pitched back that I think Darwin kind of embraced all three. I think he, which you can't like this is, comes back to the rationalization. You can't actually hold all of these at the same time, can you? you, you right. Can't, That's an interesting question. You right? can't. And I, I see the way I read some of uh, I, I I read to you two paragraphs. Mm-hmm. Right. One is a continuous right. paragraph, right. the first one, oh, and, the and the other, other smokes like an exper- <laughs> a, 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 you know like an exceptionalist paragraph. Yes. It probably has tattoos and everything. You know, it's just. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> so so I don't know what to make of Darwin, James. You're right. It's I think just he's that totally I, a, con- a continue. Obviously, he's a continue. Right? He's that's, a conti- a, I, that's what I yeah, think. Yeah. Yeah. And a pluralist because this whole argument with the bees was very plural. Because he he makes that point that you know our moral views are shaped by you know where we come from. Yeah. The the exceptionalism maybe I don't maybe he's not so much an exceptionalist. Well, it's just that piece where he says you have to reason it. Yeah, yes. I mean, that's yeah. The yeah. He doesn't like instinct. <clears throat> yeah. Self-consciously a, reflect yes. on one's actions and motives. What? Right. Yeah. yeah he yeah. wants that. Yeah. He wants that. And that yeah. may be that whole uh, humans are really special because we, you know, make choices. Yeah. But it's hard not to be anthropocentric. Yeah. When you're mm-hmm. as cool as we are. <laughs> yeah, when you're an anthropo. Anthropo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 That's right. When you're yeah. an anthropo. So Jack. So, oh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, sorry. No, no. I, I guess I'm. I'm kind of circling around back to the like. Uh, well, let's just say it that Jack has you know totally agreed with me. <laughs> but we are arguing from very different positions. I feel because Jack's position, if I'm, and please correct me if I'm sure. not. Yeah articulating this correctly is that the, that your obje- part of your objection to big M is that it um, it, it excludes non-human animals from the equation right yeah, because we're right. establishing the objective piece of, of morality that is is our position right. my argument with James was was very anthropomorphic because I was actually saying within humans we don't even have a big M Yes, you're right about that. Oh, I agree oh well, great. That. Okay, done. The, the, the podcast no. is over. I am right about all the things. No, you're right about that because we're not as good as we think we are. And think of the baby lab again. Yeah. And I have a couple of other examples here. Morally bio-enhanced humans. Why do we need to... This is, has been a hot topic in philosophy uh, since 2000. They started to do it. Talking about mor- seriously talking about moral bio-enhancement of the human genome. Where, for instance, and I mentioned oxytocin, but that's the least popular kind of uh, position to say that uh, what you want to do, you, you could sort of uh, genetically enhance Smoke humans. some dubs with hmm? our... What? We could just genetically, you know, smoke yeah. some dubs with our bros. Well, uh, yeah, but, but see, it'd be better It'd be better if you wet wire it, you know, right, Exactly, that's humans. what I'm saying. Genetically, we're going to, yeah. you know... Genetically, We're yes. all going to be high so, and because, because, one another. Uh, th- this, this occurred to me... 10 years ago, thanks to students in a bioethics class, who we, and, and we, we said, Kathleen and I, had, had said, okay, give us, uh, in groups, um, give us a situation in which uh, an ethical issue of justice comes up. Don't give me no autonomy thing. Uh, give us a really serious ethical issue of justice. And they came up, this group came up with H2 No. They said, what you want to do is to put, uh, is to put uh, a cognitive enhancer in the water of all human beings all over the world so that human beings in their relative IQ will increase their IQ by 50 points. 
so that humans will become a lot more thoughtful and, and, and we have won. Now the justice issue in that is, well think about people who don't want to wear masks. Or people, why can't, why do I have to obey a, a, a street light? By God, you know, it really pisses me off. I have my rights. Well, the problem, you know, I have my rights. I don't want to be smarter than I am. I mean, you can think about that. That is downtown justice here. And they made that, and then I thought, these people, these utilitarians, these British utilitarians at Oxford who are selling this bioenhancement stuff may have a point. But look, why are we doing this? And this goes back to a Sarah wait, 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 point. Wait, wait, what was their point? Their, oh, their point is that human beings are essentially defective. And we may be destroying ourselves, uh, largely because we're freaking idiots or we're not very nice. We're all kind of quasi-psychopaths, you know. And, uh, so, yeah, you know, let, let, let me finish up and get back to Sarah, Sarah's winning yes. point that she's winning. <laughs> so, so that we yearn for when, when we are Oxford PhDs in philosophy and, and uh, we yearn for a better human race and worse, we can actually freaking make it and we're not doing it. Oxytocin is a hormone that drops down. You can do that, can't you? Okay, anyway, I'm finished. <laughs> so can we um, circle back to non-human animal morality? Yes. So how, wh where is Jack Furlong thinking about that now? Because you've been thinking a lot about, we yeah. talked about octopus, like so solitary octopi, mm -hmm. yeah. or octopus, because they're yeah. solitary. <laughs> If they were not, there would be octopi. But though, no, this notion that very intelligent creatures yeah. that might be solitary, do they have morality versus hyenas or elephants or gazelle that are yeah. social animals, which, you know, co cognitively, I don't think people would think that a gazelle is on the same level of, say, a, a, an octopus? I, I, that's a really excellent question, and I have an answer for it, actually. So, but it, but it That's because be, it was an excellent question. If he didn't have an answer for it, it'd be an okay question. <laughs> yeah, that would be a really, or, or that's a really mediocre question. Or frankly, a non-question yeah. that yeah. you know, I've already that answered. That is a really <laughs> mediocre question. I am really glad you asked it. But let, let me offer my simplistic response here before yes. we get to the sophistication of Jack Furlong, <laughs> is that 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 actually doesn't work with Darwin. I mean, if we're talking about the, the ought response, the ought is always in duty to others, mm -hmm. right? So you Versus, can't have it yeah, solitary. So, so it, solitary so, animals can't have morality. Well, yeah, no, by, by that criteria, because mm -hmm. their ought is always self-interest. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And here's the problem. Let's take octopuses first. Um, oct the, the, the normal octopus only lives two years. It is constantly under pressure to survive. Mm -hmm. By and large, uh, oct octopus communities don't get together as communities because they couldn't survive. Uh, you know, everybody'd say, they there, they, there they are. <laughs> there they are. Let's go get them. And, and, you know, octopuses got out of carapaces you know, millions of years ago, so they have really free, no protection except how fast they are. And, you know... And smart. Well, in the camouflage and... Well, well and, and the camouflage, <laughs> yes. And the camouflage is just lovely. Brilliant. Uh, yeah, yeah, very, very nice, except you only have two years to use yeah. it. <laughs> so, so there is that, I think there is that limit to the intelligence of octopuses that, and by the way, uh, the, the 
The Greek plural of octopus is octopodoi. <laughs> And that's why people say, and then people ask me, I say this because in this ape to octopus class, these Ali people, these retired people have asked, what's the plural octopus? And I said, octopuses is fine. And then they say, are you sure that sounds right? And I say, look, it could be, it could be octopodoy. Is that what you want? So octopi is totally wrong. Octopi is neither Greek nor Latin. It's something that is helpful if you think octopuses sounds a little funny okay. <clears throat> so so that's my that's my that's my so if anything wicked, from this today's podcast yes, yes, there is a that, kernel of yes, wisdom the take-home message that, that, that's my wicked that be the title of showing the, the latin and greek stuff you know <laughs> so octo, say it again yeah. there the octopodoi is the greek octopuses um, is fine yeah <laughs> it's eight-footed octopus is actually the Greek for octopus. But that's solitary octopus. That's the so solitary <laughs> octopus. <laughs> but but I, I'm saying, you know, the, and, and I was just talking to James during the commercial, there, <laughs> there, there, is, there, there is this group of hundreds of octopuses off the coast of Australia uh, that was discovered Frankly, by a philosopher, I don't know how he knew how to snorkel. That's you know, I don't know. I don't. It's kind of a weird philosopher. Uh, at any rate, the, it's called Octopolis because there are hundreds and hundreds of octopuses that have kind of gotten together, and uh, the 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 actual reasonable question is why and mm -hmm. how. And how do they treat each other? But apparently, they don't treat each other at all. <laughs> they're, they're sort of there together, There's and solitary, but in proximity. They don't hang out. They don't. They don't exchange wellers. So there's, I mean, they, so I there's mean no, yeah, their mating is pretty uh, generally pretty aggressive, right. right? The male is pretty much like, here's my arm, yeah. like right. His yeah. eating appendage is like an extra yeah. arm is like, just yeah. take it because otherwise I'm dead. Because life and is rough with only seven. Yeah. <laughs> so wait, are you saying that octopus don't have morality then, even though they're very smart? Uh, you know, <laughs> if you don't need morality. Don't, don't get morality. <laughs> you know, it's a. It's, so it's why not, do you need yeah. morality? It's expensive. The the it's what? It's expensive. It's ex yeah. it's very yeah. very expensive. What I'm arguing is that uh, uh, that uh, octopuses uh, octopuses don't need morality because frankly they don't live long enough to uh, to endure the consequences of not having it. So, I don't. I don't so see do lions why. need morality that are social animals. Uh, lions are social animals. I, I, the story is social animals with enough cognition to problem solve. This is my story on pluralism. <laughs> this is how you define it. Uh, uh, need morality. Uh, they, they need, unfortunately, when they're forced to some sort of decision, to go with the, in, uh, 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 with the intuition that they have. They're not thinking. If, if you're thinking that uh, uh, this is a matter of thought and thinking, think about problem solving. Don't think about mm -hmm. reflection. Okay. So the, uh, I, I have a beautiful example of this in rats, but apparently you people don't want to talk about no, rats. No, no, so. go. We Do, love give it rats. to us. Give it to us. We love okay. Rats. Throw it. Okay. Drop, drop uh, your rats. This is from the, um, uh, uh, from the lab of... Uh, <laughs> Of University, the lab. University of Chicago professor um, 
uh, Lisa Mason, I, I, I don't have her actual name down here, but I know it's Mason, last name is Mason, and um, she has done a lot of, I, I looked her up, and she's done a lot of work on this. <clears throat> the, the conventional way to do this, Jack Panksep, or Jack Panksep, I don't know if you know that name. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> but he had done a lot on rats. He he, he tickled, tickled rats them. and it's the best. Oh, yes, it, it really oh and they giggle. It, I love it. Yeah. It makes it you know, it, it's better than rats late laugh. late night television yeah. is what it is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in fact it is late night television. <laughs> <laughs> so um so what she did is to uh, she trapped one right one rat in clear plastic, another rat in the same area who could go its own way, frankly, if it wanted to. It's in clear plastic, but it obviously sees it's friend. Uh, well, by the way, it's not a friend because it doesn't know who the heck it's it just is. Another, it just knows it's another a rat. rat in duress. Yeah, yeah. It's a rat in duress. Opens it up for no reason. It gets no reward. It gets no uh, uh, applause, <laughs> as we get here. Just lets it go. Now, this is the level that Pangsep developed and thought, well, why is it doing that? Is, is, of course, you could say it's wired for altruism, but no, rats generally don't tend to do that. So this has to be some sort of decision in quotation marks. Mm -hmm. In quotation marks, James, okay? <laughs> uh, because I, I, I don't know. It, it, in other words, it's a problem that has to be solved. Mm -hmm. It's a, quote, decision, unquote, okay? Um, so then... She does a next experiment where there's an encased rat and encased as well in a clear plastic tube, five chocolate chips. And the rats have been trained to eat some chocolate chips so that it knows what, what it's looking at. It frees the rat first, <laughs> then frees the chocolate chips and shares the chips mm. at a, it eats 3.5 chips. <laughs> at, as a rule, you know, statistically, and gives 1.5 to its other fellow rat. But this is a problem for anyone. I think this is a problem for anyone who wants to say... You know, I, I don't know enough about rats in the wild in their normal experiences, <clears throat> but uh, I, I imagine to some degree they're social creatures. Yeah, I think well, they no, are. Right? So yeah. is, there, is there opportunity for reciprocity? For rats, the process. For rats, yes, yes. Yeah. So, so that, so that, that this instinct to free another, right, increases the chances that <clears throat> that they will be helped in the future. But then, within the pluralism, what exactly would select for that? Like, why would that emerge? Right. I mean, I think to me, if I understand correctly, yeah. pluralism would say, well, regardless of the species we're talking about, the right. conditions you're <clears throat> in this is adding to your success. So what is the success of yeah. me letting out Mark and giving up 1.5 chocolate chips to him? Yeah, yeah well, right. I'm going to do you a solid later. <laughs> well, you I do bring the best You know, one of the things I think about is that, you know, how do we, as humans, look at that scientist and say, why do you think putting a rat in a box was the test? Yeah. Right? I mean, to yeah. us, that makes sense, right? Like, oh, mm -hmm. we've isolated this rat and we've created this scenario that yeah. to us makes sense. Whereas, you know, how many different scenarios could we have created in the world of rats that make more sense to rats? Yeah. Right. Right. But anyway, that's a that, weird that, thought. That, that's a hot topic between people who want to do things in the wild and people who want to do things under lab-controlled lab, lab, conditions. But what you've established because of that, the rat is moral. No. 
I've established, <laughs> I've established because of that that there are that there are possibilities of moral behavior in the rat, and you tell me how to explain this this uh, in a better way than the more. See, when you th when many people say that, and you say, you mean you you mean the rat is moral? I want to say, back off. <laughs> This is, remember, de-anthropocentrize yourself, first of all. <laughs> Wash away your sins. And, and I guess you've established that Sarah was right and I was wrong, right? Those are, well, that's those, the most important. That was the most important. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't get into that with colleagues. <laughs> there we go. Well, hey, Jack. I, it's it's pan-altruism for me, dude. <laughs> We're all right. Oh, good. Anyway, Jack, thank you so much. Thank you. Great. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. It was my pleasure to share with my colleagues. I and thank you for listening to Discovering Darwin. So and then, then I say, fuck you, Jane. <laughs>